0: Blog Talk Radio. And see, last week I started talking before it came in and said to our off-the-shelf listeners before it came in and said Blog Talk Radio. So I always learn to wait with a little pause, but just learn to wait so I don't get cut off when I'm when I'm talking and that comes in on it. But I want to welcome everybody. This is a very exciting time of the year. We have a wonderful guest on deck for you. And this is the holiday season, so next next Sunday is Christmas. It came up that fast, didn't it? It came up that fast. For those, our loyal listeners, I, I always like to pause and thank our loyal listeners who've been with us for over 12 years. They're going into our 13th year, so I want to thank all of you. I can't thank you enough. I hope you've enjoyed the ride from where we started out at Blake Radio and that they, they play the smoothest jazz over there to hear to blog talk radio. And those who tune in via iTunes and however you tune in to Off the Shelf, I just say thank you, thank you, thank you. Hope you're ready for the holidays if you celebrate the holidays and that you don't run yourself too ragged. For those who are just tuning in to Off the Shelf for the very first time, I want to thank you as well. And you're listening, my friend, to the Winning Book Radio Show off the shelf. Welcome, welcome to this Saturday, December the 17th show. I can't, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I think you're going to be excited about our guest today. I started doing this a couple of months ago. This is a, a a thought just to drop in, something you can think about or you can say, nah, and toss it to the side. But something I want to leave with you, and I, I try to pick up, Thoughts that I think will be beneficial and advantageous to you And today's thought is We should not give up And we should not allow the problem to defeat us We get so tempted to do that We should not give up And we should not allow the problem to defeat us And that is by APJ Abdul Kalam We should not give up And we should not allow the problem to defeat us Off the shelf listeners how good of a mystery, sleuth are you? Do you think you can finger the person who's responsible for the murder that cloaks Raymond and his friend's life and love pour over me? I also want to ask you how much you value relationships, uh, the complicated relationships, particularly we like things that go. We have a plan in our mind. I think every human has their own plan. Then we know we had a creator's plan. And then when you go into a relationship, you got another plan coming in, and all three generally never agree. <laughs> you have a conflict. But how does how do relationships when you're going to a relationship with somebody? It's going to change you because everybody's coming in with their plans, their beliefs, their motives, what they think will make them happy, and they don't. They're rarely all the same. If you value relationships, in the beginning of of love program, you're going to see right away, right. Right off the bat, a father and a son. The the, the father's raising his son as a single parent, and, and the 1980s when that was not common, it's not even common now, because the little boy's mother left when he was two years old, and she left to start a relationship with another guy. So the father has untreated alcoholism. You're going to see right off the bat the, the the conflict between a relationship between two people. Here, this starts out a father and a son. Then the son goes to college, and he meets the love of his life. But how has his childhood set him up for this relationship? And then again, there's that murder mystery and five awesome friends that Raymond Clark meets at college in Pennsylvania. If you value relationships and you want one of those people who just want to read and figure out who did it, who did it, before it's revealed in the story. I think you're going to love, love, pour over me. It's in print and e-book format. You can get it, you name it, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart, You you any place that sells e-books or print books, you can get love, pour over me. If you want to get it at a bookstore and you don't see it on the shelves, just go up to the clerk and say, I'd like to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. And they can order you a copy because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And I hope you go out and get yourself a copy as a holiday treat and let me know how you enjoyed Love Pour Over Me. And now, let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. This is what really excites me and keeps me going with off-the-shelf for 12 years, a lot happens in 12 years You can best best believe that This is what keeps me going The guests that we have And I learned something from every single guest we have on the show And I hope that you, our listeners, do as well And our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Teresa Howell She is a Boston, Massachusetts native And she's also an educator Teresa is the author of the novel, That Church Life and, and and what a great title! We are so happy to have her with us here on Off the Shelf. We're gonna learn more about her and her books, her writing, her her how she her style, the process she uses to write with, and definitely get a little more inside scoop on that church life uh, for readers who want to know more about the book before they might go out and and purchase a copy. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Teresa.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing I'm doing fabulous, and I can hear in your voice that you're doing fabulous as well, which is which is a blessing. It's good to have you here. Uh, we initially scheduled and I didn't even notice it till I went in to my my studio view this morning. Uh, Teresa was initially scheduled for October. We had to reschedule uh, for December, and we're just honored to have her. With us this morning Before we go into the show's questions And I have loads of questions I never get to all the questions When I do my research for the shows Because it just goes so fast But before we launch into the questions This is one question Every guest on the show uh, Actually asks everybody About two, two questions The first one is Can you tell our off the shelf listeners What life was like for you Growing up in in Boston, tell us, you know, how many brothers and sisters you had, just what life was like for you growing up in Boston. I'd like to give our listeners a little backstory on our guests before I just start diving into the questions.
1: Okay. Um, Boston was cold. <laughs> That's the <laughs> best description I can give. Um, it was a great place to grow up. There are so many things to do there. Um, had a good Solid background, um, educational wise. My parents believed in private schools, and I didn't even reach public the public school system until 11th grade. I am wow. the only child. Yeah, yeah. I'm the only child from my mother, but my dad has several other children, so I have seven half brothers and sisters, um, and counting. There might be some out there that I haven't met yet. But um, we were all in Boston. I would spend Monday through Friday with my mom and then on the weekends with my dad and my sisters and brothers over at his house. Um, So writing started early on in age. Um, There's a lot to write about in Boston. um, But my mom was military, so after I graduated from high school, she decided to travel to Arkansas to be stationed um, in the Army, and I decided to follow her after I tried school for maybe a semester, and then I wanted to go with her um so I was able to actually see other things other than Boston um, after that point and it it was just a good experience all around um no complaints about Boston, but the weather so <laughs> How old that was my you life when you went to Austin. I'm sorry. I was actually nineteen when I went to Arkansas. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Yeah, oh, you so I when
0: you moved
1: to Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. Um, she decided after I graduated high school because she didn't want to interrupt what I was doing in school, because um, I was very active, um, cheerleading and doing some other things and she said, Well, I'll just wait till you graduate so she moved to Arkansas and then once I left school I followed behind her. Um, and then it was just a journey from Arkansas to um Atlanta to Alabama, back to Boston to North Carolina. So we kinda moved around for like the next five or six years after that and met some really, really good people, you know, up so until where now. Are you so down? currently I'm in Durham, North Carolina and
0: Okay. Okay. You know what? That answers a question I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, how did you get from Boston to North Carolina? And now you you ex, you explained it. So your mom is she still in the military? She was. And did you ever think, you know, with all the traveling you got to do, and 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 I was in the Navy, so this is a reason I'm asking you this. Uh, I loved it. I just loved it. Loved it. But I I got married. My ex husband was in the Air Force, and I wanted a family, so I said, it's hard when you're. Uh, you're married, and two people are in the military, and one stationed maybe in Singapore, and the other one stationed in Hawaii. That's hard on a kid because that then you can't see your parent on the weekends. It's just too much distance uh, between right. you. But um, I love the people I met. The only reason I got out was because when I got married. But I loved meeting new people, and I loved traveling. And you, ne- you never get bored in the military because, you know, if you don't like a certain place, you like, oh, I'm only going to be here for a year and a half. And then you can home again. So it's it's manageable. Did you Is your mom still in the military, and did you ever think
1: yourself, you know, that's something I like to do? Yeah, my mom uh retired in 2002. Um, actually, North Carolina is my father's home state. So okay. I actually moved here. Um, I didn't like Alabama at all. <laughs> so I actually moved here from Alabama um, when she was stationed there, and I started a family and things of that nature. Um, and my, my dad, being originally from here, had retired and came back to North Carolina. So I was kind of following him at that point. Um, and I think i what was the year nineteen ninety eight was when I arrived in North Carolina, and my mom gradually came two thousand two and she retired from the military, but she just passed away this year in may, so um she's no longer oh, with us yeah, but she she did move to the Durham area and she was here from two thousand two up until her death so and my dad's still living he's in Henderson, North Carolina, which is um his hometown, little bitty Space. On the map. So, with those with those travels with her, it kind of let me know as an adult, hey, do I want to join the military? Is this something that I would want to do? You know, this be good for my children. Um, and I did try to get in, but the Air Force was really strict. They went. I had been in a car accident, yeah. so they wouldn't allow oh, me to come in okay, with injury.
0: Okay, you should have went Navy. <laughs> No. Oh no! But you don't. I never was on a ship. Really? I never once. I I'm gonna tell you, uh, and, I, and then I have so many questions I want to a- ask you. But um, no, it, being in the Navy for me, I was I did administrative work, and I'm telling you, it was no different than the way I work right now, as administrative and, and as a civilian. Zero. Zero. I, wow. I thought at first it was a real bit different, too, but no, it wasn't. So you got into writing. You let, you enjoyed Boston. You got into writing uh, as a kid. Is that what you always dreamed of becoming, a writer? Or was there something else when you were seven, eight years old that you said, when I grow up, this is what I want to be?
1: Yeah, writing was not the thing that I thought about when I was younger. I actually uh, could sing. Play the keyboard a little bit, so I just really thought I was going to be in a band somewhere, rocking it out. I just never thought Get out of that writing would be it. Yeah, I just I admired like Janet Jackson and had formed um, girl groups and been in talent shows around Boston. So I just knew that I was going to, you know, move to California and become a singer and meet Michael Jackson that type of thing. Um, <laughs> writing, writing, wow, map. <laughs> yeah. So what so happened, it's weird, Teresa? Just, what happened? Well, you what, formed a girl group? You, well, yeah, we actually went to meet Maury Starr for an interview um, one time. We were really serious about um, becoming stars, and we went into his house and his recording studio in Boston, and we just knew we were going to be the next girl pop group. But um, it didn't work out that way. Um, two of the members decided that it was too much work and it just left me and another girl, and, you know, he wasn't willing to kind of wait to see who else was coming along. At that time, New Edition had blew up, and, you know, he had other things to do. He didn't have time to be wasting on us, so. <laughs> Dang,
0: but, yeah. That's I, um, a story. Now, that's yeah. a story. It, yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Well, kudos to you that you got out there, and you, you, you. it shows your courage. You You take action. I really admire that. Now, Teresa, as an educator, uh, do you teach at the elementary, secondary, or college uh, level?
1: Um, I've actually taught in elementary and middle schools. I taught for eight years in special education, and then I moved into the administration field maybe about four years ago. Oh, okay. So So my
0: next question to you is, how has teaching – well, first of all, before I go that far – what were the You said special education, so that was general across the board, or did you teach mm-hmm. special education math, special education reading? Was it a particular topic, or was it just general?
1: It was across the board. Um, depending on the school, like elementary, you kind of stick to math and language arts when you're teaching children with special needs. And I taught from what they called a resource setting where you pull kids out of a regular ed classroom, I've taught self contained where, you know, it's just me and twelve children and two teacher assistants. I've taught the behavior um behavior class children that, you know, wasn't really um mainstreamed because of their behaviors. So it's anything in special education I've taught it. <laughs> and, oh, I really okay. like, and I really like um Yeah, I really like K through eight better. I've never tried high school. Um too afraid of the tall kids. Cause I'm short, so never wanted to go that far.
0: <laughs> well, I thank I thank you for um, for your service. My sister's a school teacher, and I know it's not it's not the easiest thing, but I, I do. We teachers are, are are important, and they have a lot a tremendous impact on kids. I don't even think teachers know how much impact they have on kids. I, I don't. It's, you will always remember at least one of your teachers for the rest of your life. <laughs> I wanted, yeah. next, my next question. So that's why I asked you about teaching. How has teaching given you a better insight, Teresa, into how people think, uh, what motivates us, how we think, how our minds work, more about our behavior, and because that can help you develop deeper characters as a as a as a novelist. So how has teaching helped given you a more or a sharpened insight into into people?
1: That's a very good question um, because undergrad, my major was psychology. So I was always walking around analyzing people before I even got into education, um, and then education dealing with um, students with disabilities and the, the parents and how they deal with the situation is, is very interesting on their view of what their child can and cannot do. Um, so taking all those things into account when I write, I like write, writing mystery and suspense thrillers, and that's what this book is about. Um, it's, it's basically a lot of twists and turns within the church. And I noticed in life on the psychological part how people um, really take into account on who's responsible for what. And so that was in, in my writing. You can see, okay, this character is, is just irresponsible. She's really not thinking about the church and... And it made me think deeper about, you know, how people receive you in different settings. Because um, even though you're the teacher of, of special education, parents who are um, have special needs children don't always see you as the expert. So it's it's, it's a very oh. interesting field. Oh yeah, yes they they feel they've been with the child since birth. You don't understand why little Johnny is like this and. You know, I know you're teaching him every day and you spend six and a half hours with him, but I know him best and I think you should do it this way. So oh, the yeah. the perception of what what they can and cannot do is so interesting because you have some who their children may not be the greatest learners, but the parents want them to go to a four-year college. And then you have some who their children can really do the work, but they don't have those same goals. They're like, oh, we just want him to get out of high school. So yeah. perception on and different again, levels that's helping me to write.
0: Wow, and th- you know that's interesting that you said that. Uh, if anybody's tuning in and off the shelf as a parent, you do have to look out for your child. You have to also be honest. And teachers have have that skill set that a parent from an education standpoint doesn't have, may not have as much depth. But I would say don't ever let a teacher tell you what your child can't do because some teachers, if your child's in special education, they might say, oh, they should go to technical school or get a job driving a bus or whatever, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. You don't get to determine what my child can or cannot do. Exactly, And yeah. So that, that's, that's one thing I would definitely tell people uh, to look out for. Now, you write Christian suspense novels. You just said you like to write your mysteries. It's not just... Uh, a, a novel where there's a lot of dysfunction You know A lot of books The more dysfunction The more they think they can ad- ad- draw in readers But There's a true suspense In in, in this in the Christian novels Which you, you set your first one it, It's centered in a church But I wanted to ask you What attracted you uh, Teresa The Christian mysteries
1: Don't hear a lot about
0: those What attracted you to it
1: well, that was one thing because I wanted to be unique. <laughs> and the other thing is I grew up in the church, and so I've seen a lot of things happen. So when I first started out, I was thinking of nonfiction. I was like, well, let me just tell this story about how this one church was, and then, you know, it just came to me. What, what reader wants to hear negative about ch- church? So how about we turn this into a mystery slash kind of situation to where people can just relate to the story. They've been in church all their lives. Yeah, I know somebody like that. Um, Sister so-and-so, she's just like this character. That That's more receiving than saying, well, the church did this, the church did that. So um, it's, it went from a place of, I guess I, I would have to say anger, because at the time I was going through something with the church, to something that was very received, very um, comical um, in certain parts, and um, a, t- a page-turner. So I think that writing suits me well, um, and it's worked for me. Um, it dropped May twenty sixth and it, like, soared within over a month. You know, it was in major places. So I now see that's probably my niche and something I need to stick with but I really like building up that suspense so you could think, you know, what's going to happen next in the book.
0: Okay, okay. So can you, who who is in, introduce us to who's in the church gal crew at Mount Zion, holding the church. And before you go and introduce us to who's in this crew, is is this, is the story that church life or this crew, I'll just say this crew, is that based on anything in, directly, indirectly or any way upon a real life experience you had at a church. This this
1: church gal crew. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, I can say that each character probably has five or six experiences in one to what made them the character. Um, but it doesn't like point out one particular person I know, it's just like several different events or several different people. So these three girls, they they are in the South, um, and they're in the Southern Holiness Church. Um, one is a preacher's kid. She grew up in it. This, this is all she knows, and that's the main character, Missy. Um, and then you have Natalia. She's been back and forth, hasn't really been faithful, doesn't really like church, but her dad is one of the deacons there, so she just happened to kind of have to be there type thing. And she's the feisty one. She's the one that has the attitude, like, why are we here? (laughs) And then you have um, Michelle. She's the more passive, passive aggressive, kind of quiet. She's a musician, likes to play, um, and she's very overprotective of her friends. So those are the three characters. Okay, so this church
0: girl crew, um, I can't think of the writer, Pat, Pat, how do you say, Pat George? She, I love her, her, uh, <laughs> her, her books. she just her series on different things that happen in church. So I was thinking when I heard church girl crew, I'm thinking right off the head. Okay, uh, these are these a group of gossipy women who just look to start a bunch of trouble in church? If you told them they were starting trouble, they would they wouldn't even think they were. They would tell you they were just about Christians. <laughs> Always are starting starting things. All right. so it sounds like that's not their makeup. One is their no. detective mm-hmm. so they, they they're serious about their walk with the Lord, it sounds like this church guy out
1: Well two of them are. Um, one of them she uh... just care less. <laughs> she's just in it because this is just like I said, her father's a deacon and she's been longtime friends with these girls. Um, but she she is like she makes up a lot of the story and for some peop so for some reason people like her the most. Um, because of her oh. rebellion attitude Yeah she's always Everybody's always saying what is Natalia going to do next I love Natalia Like like I'm so glad you made her Because I guess they can relate to her Because you see so many people That kind of just go to church for habit Because um, it's just a, the thing to do on Sundays in the South And she's more like that character
0: Ah Okay Okay So so, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the other characters? I know you told us some of the, some of their interests, but what is it in particular? Not just like saying uh, one of them likes to play the organ or the piano, but what is it in particular? Maybe it's there's a, a goal, a desire they have to reach a fear that they're dealing with, a personal conflict, without giving the story away. But what is it about these characters that keeps readers turning the pages?
1: Well, Missy is the one with all the drama and the conflict. Um, And she's the reason why the the pages keep turning, because she's the center of it all, and they want to know what's going to happen to her next. Um, Each chapter, it, it starts in her voice. So each chapter is basically, what is she doing? And especially like in Chapter 1 and 2, you have to really find out what's going on with her and, and why is she acting like this. Um, and then once you find out, oh, this is what's happening. So now let me go into Chapter 3. And so each so many chapters, it kind of evolves with her issues because she has a lot of issues. <laughs> her and her okay. dad they have a lot of issues. <laughs> So okay. her dad is is the preacher of a church. This is a, a mega church in um, oh. in current times. Okay. Yeah, I, I started off thinking about well, maybe I should start like something in the seventies, but then I said that was really hard to find proof or material when you start researching about the seventies, especially when you were were a little girl back then. So I said, mm-hmm. let me let me bring it to present time and to work for me better. But yeah, Missy has a lot going on. And a lot of the reviewers say she needs a therapist. So um, ah. yes, yeah, she, she 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 has some issues, <laughs> some serious issues. <laughs> and she she's a, she she keeps the book going. But again, for some reason, they're stuck on Natalia. Like even though this is about Missy's life, they want to know what's going to happen to Natalia. And why didn't you tell us a little bit more background about Michelle? Um, but in part two is really all about Michelle. So they'll get to see. In part three, it'll be all about Natalia
0: Oh, I was going to ask you Okay, so how long has Natalia Freeman been attending Mount Zion Holiness Church And why is she the leader of the crew? Did she did she start the crew? Did they elect her the leader? Either by vote or just something that just happened organically And how long has yeah, she been just, going to the church?
1: She's been there all her life as well Um, Off and on She hasn't been consistent But she's basically chosen as the leader Because she kind of like puts everybody in check Like when she sees that they're doing something ridiculous She kind of draws them back into reality And like look This is not what you're supposed to be doing Um, So she's kind of like the The mama of the crew So to speak Um, Because she's always kind of putting the girls in check It's like look You don't need to be doing that Or you don't need to be messing with that dude
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> how old are these women in the in the in the, in this crew? How how old uh, are they, and how much of an impact do they have on the other members in the congregation?
1: They are in their it's about twenty seven to the ages of twenty seven and twenty eight. Okay, um, that's their age in the book. Um, they they have Natalia doesn't have an impact on the congregation at all um, because she is just solely there because this is something that her friends keep telling her that she has to do. So she she doesn't even try to participate. She doesn't mingle with any of the members. Um, Michelle has a great impact because she's a uh, marvelous musician, and they adore, you know, she has some really good skills. And, like, when she's not there on a Sunday morning, it's like service different because she can really, really play. Oh. And, of course, Michelle being the um, preacher's kid, you know, the legacy is supposed to fall on her. And so, mm-hmm. you know, she's always being um, ridiculed or judged based upon her father's expectations. So they look at her a lot. They watch her every move.
0: Okay. And you said her father's expectations. Is her father tough on her as well?
1: Yes. He's he's really concerned about what other people think about the Jones family. It really um, makes him upset when the community finds out something negative about their family, and he hides wow. a lot of stuff. He hides a lot of stuff. Wow. Him.
0: Yeah, you can see now. See, this is why when I when I interview guests here at Off the Shelf, one thing I learned even as a writer myself, as I go into interviews. You get when you learn more. Writers are so afraid sometimes they give away too much detail about their books. They're afraid, oh my god, I'm gonna tell the whole story, and well, nobody want to read it? But when you share enough, it really whacks people's appetites. They become more curious about it, and you can do that without giving away the whole thing in the story. What what attracted what attracted Missy Jones to Tommy? And what's Tommy like? Tommy's a
1: jerk. Um <laughs>
0: oh, you, said that right <laughs> ah, you didn't waste <laughs> no time. <laughs> oh my god, like,
1: Tommy's, Tommy's a shit. boyfriend that nobody wants. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> he causes a he causes a lot of problems with the ladies. That's all I can say. Ty there's a lot to Tommy. Um, and she's just she's just attracted to the challenge. You know how when your parent tells you no, this is not somebody for you, it kind of pushes you further and further into that person. And so it's yeah. one of those situations where, you know, her dad is like, no, you are about to be the one of the ministers of this church. you about to one day have this church, and you dating this dude? So, yeah. And it's like the more they tell her, no, he's not for you, the more she just pushes into him. Mm.
0: Okay. So she's kind of like turned on by the bad boy, the bad boy thing.
1: Yes, uh, yes. Does
0: she stay with Tommy even after their relationship turns abusive? And if she does stay, then that her, you know, we, we do, what. this is what studies have said. We do, our parents model for us. So if our parents had a relationship where there's no abuse, generally we won't go down that path. Although women do tend to be attracted to that bad boy. So sometimes even though, that doesn't, they didn't see that modeled for them by their parents. They could still, and women also, and I've, I've learned this through books I've read, women I've talked to, and do interviews. Women have this tendency to want to fix things. So men want to fix things like they want to repair a house. They want to fix, work on a car, fix a car. Women want to fix people, and and
1: mm-hmm. I, that.
0: that Men want to fix things. Women want to fix people. So so women, that might be why sometimes women are attracted to a guy they don't have no business with. But they really feel like, you know, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to change him. And you hear men mm-hmm. say that women always want to change you. Men want to fix things. Women want to fix people. Does, which I think is wrong. Does Missy stay with Tommy uh, having said that even after their relationship turns abusive? And why would she be attracted to a guy? Who would become abusive? Missy. Yeah, Missy. I told you, Missy has some issues.
1: <laughs> Missy is is a very very attractive woman, but for some reason she doesn't know it. So, Tommy is one of those smooth talkers, and he basically. He's probably the only one that has given her that real true affection of, you know, you're beautiful, you're this, you're that. And so he's the only person that she's been with for a long period of time in her life because, you know, she's still young. She's only like 27 years old. And so in spite of what he does, because of um, her wanting to change him, she does does have that tendency to – she has great hopes for him to be better even though he doesn't want to be better. And, you know, her dad raised her more so of, you know, this is what you got to do for the church, not so much of helping her with her self-esteem or helping her to realize that she's a beautiful woman and she could do better. It was just everything was about the church. So because she didn't have that upbringing of her dad telling her, you know, you're beautiful, you're, you're smart, you're intelligent, you can have anything in the world, she got it from Thomas. So with that being said, it's like it's like poison. She just can't get away from him cuz she thinks that, you know. He's gonna he's gonna do better. He's gonna he's gonna change. He's gonna mm.
0: Wow. Yeah. I hope that 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 as you uh go to the end of the story whether in this book or throughout the series that readers learn, especially women, that's just not uh, I know women who've gotten caught up in that. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Are there, it sounds like Tommy is sort of like a playboy. Now, for you know, there are a lot of – a church I used to go to, and I was – before I relocated to Atlanta when I was in Philadelphia, he got up and said, I do his counseling, talking to different women. He said, I just have to get up <laughs> and sit in the church. So many women come to church looking for a husband. He said, let me tell you something. People are here for all different kind of reasons. We just assume they're there to to be close to God. Every, everybody's motive for taking a job. Some people go go get a job and they don't want to work. You better <laughs> ask them to do anything. They just they do want a paycheck, or they might want to have access to a computer, or have be to be on the phone, and I have to pick up the bill. People do things for all different reasons. You say, well, somebody's going to get a job. They want to work. Uh, not necessarily. And not everybody mm-hmm. who's going to church really is going there seeking the Lord. So that said, I wanted to ask you next, for so many women who just do assume he's in church, he's, he's got a heart for God. Boom, done in the story. But that's not reality. Are there any mm-hmm. real-life any real-life playboys in the church. It sounds like Tommy's one. I mean, where their intent coming in is these gullible Christian women, they just as easy to <laughs> drag along as you can imagine. I'm going to see how many of them I can get while I'm here for maybe three mm-hmm. or five years. Is that, is, mm-hmm. that, is that the situation here at Mount Zion? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: because Tommy has a gift to play. He's a musician. He has a gift. But, you know, gifts come without repentance So he his attitude is I am here to get a paycheck I'm, I'm not really here to really listen To what the preacher is saying I'm just here to kind of go along with the service Play, let these women see me And Mount Zion is a sister church Of several other churches in the area So he plays at these different churches And what ends up happening In his contact of going to play At these different places He's meeting all these women And he's a very, very attractive guy as well so you know, uh, he's a he and he's a wow. smooth talker. So it, it's nothing for him for Missy to be sitting right there in church with him and him to you know pick up other women during that service. That, <laughs> you know that it's just what he does.
0: <laughs> oh God, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy! I know. I, oh my God, Missy, her parents must be like, especially a father, ready to pull his hair out. Did you? Like these <laughs> your characters? As again this is this is one of the joys I get out of hosting off the shelf as I learn more about the book. It just the story starts to come alive. Now did you base any of your characters and they seem like they're very different, your characters, which is good. Did you base any of them though on or any events that happen in that church life from real life people or any real life events? I know I asked you that about the 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 crew was that based on anything real? But are any of these people, when you look back, can you say, without calling anybody's name, oh, yeah, that was definitely based mm-hmm. <laughs> on somebody at mm-hmm. another church I went to? Or any mm-hmm. real life, even events in the story that it's, and those of novel, but there's maybe an event that you can say that really did happen, but uh, I just kind of put it in my novel.
1: Well,. I can tell you the <laughs> the label that um, male musicians have in churches is some of them. I'm not going to say all of them because somebody would slap my hand for saying this. But through my lifetime, my experiences, a lot of the musicians that I have ran into or seen in churches are the players. They are the ones. Really? That, you yes. You know, I never, I they, would. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. It, do, well, let me ask you this, Teresa. Do you think that's just a big church or is that also... In smaller churches,
1: yeah, it's also in smaller churches because the thing about it is, that's not the only church that most of them play for. So you know, it's it's a job. It's considered a job, and they're they're getting, and a lot of churches are paying them to play. So they might do, you know, an eight o'clock service at this church, and they might do an eleven o'clock service at this church, and they might go somewhere else at three o'clock, and they might have an evening service where somebody wants to pay them because. You know it's hard to find really really good musicians, so they ended up they end up going from like church to church to church meeting different women different you know ages uh different desperations and I have some musician friends, and I can tell you that um they leave they lead a wonderful life, <laughs> really, oh my God, you know what you just
0: I would never i I gotta tell you that that's a surprise and i I was a church clerk at a church for ten years, but we had the same the person who the all musicians were members of the church, and they only played at the, at at the church I went to so I don't know if with them that was the case, but oh my goodness, you bring out a good point you bring out a good yeah, point.
1: And I'm not saying every musician is like that everybody because I do have some musician friends that are married and that are very faithful to their women. But I can say the ones that have no intentions on finding a wife, they are they love it because they move around and they see and and let's be honest in church it is about 90% women in most churches, yes. whether they're big or small. Yeah. So, you know, it becomes yeah. a meat market for some musicians, and it's, you know, they just, especially when they're young, they're like, oh this is good, this is good stuff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, this is hopefully through uh, what you share in That Church Life and uh, your other writings, it'll wake women up so that women aren't so gullible. Oh, my gosh, some of us are just, like, so naive. It's almost sickening. It's like, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. please. So hopefully, hopefully that, and it can hopefully spare somebody Heartache, whether they have an affair with a minister or a pastor or a deacon or a musician And they, they just, because they're in church, they think it's going to turn out right And they they get their heart broken And what city and state, yeah. Teresa, uh, this helps set the, the scene for that church life as well What you said is a mega church How many members are at Mount Zion? And in what city and state is the, does the story take place in?
1: So I placed it in Durham since I've been here for so long. Um there's a lot of um church here and it was easy to write about Durham. Um I could have wrote it about Boston but you know, I just maybe Boston for another book. But <laughs> Durham with the it's, it's the Bible belt, um, church going to church is a ritual. Um, the thing about the musician thing that is definitely prevalent here. And in Mount Zion, the membership is like over a thousand. They're actually, um, they're on TV. They're doing um, broadcasts on major networks on Sundays. So they're seen all over the world. And that's the thing thing that gets her dad so into it and and so worried about his reputation is because he's always on TV. He's a televangelist. And he got to make sure that the image that his daughter has is right because you know, she's about to be on TV, too, for her, for, you know, taking over the church. So um, lot, lots and lots and lots and lots of members. And it's, okay. It's, it's, so. Yeah, and it talks about, I mean, from the missionary to the elders, it, it has a story to tell for a lot of them. So, yeah.
0: Now, you know what? I... I um... I've been through Durham for a book event before. It doesn't strike me as a big, big city, and then, and it may be because I only went. You know how you go through uh, a city like New York or certain cities, certain parts of Atlanta. It just has this big city feel to it. Uh, I might not have gotten out enough, but in Durham, it didn't have that impact. They have a lot of mega churches there in uh,
1: Durham. Yeah. Yes. Um, the thing about Durham, because you have the colleges. You have um, North Carolina Central, which is the college that I graduated from, and you have Duke, and you have um, UNC. Even though that's in Chapel Hill, that's only like maybe 15 minutes away from here. So, most of the churches that are mega churches, the marketing strategy that they use was to attract the youth. So, um, we have one mega church here. Um, this guy is actually from my hometown, um, and his his he's from a family of mega churches. Um, his brother has one, his dad has one in Boston, and when he came down, he may have started off with maybe like 500 members, but he had three services, 8 o'clock, 10.30, 12.30, to where he was attracting the young people because of the schedule, and, you know, for those that was partying late at night, you can come to the 12.30 service, and, you know, he, <laughs> he's a realist preacher, um, and then he let the city know, hey, my church is different because I have 42% men in my church. Oh. Boy, did you you talk about women flocking to his church. That was, that was part of his advertising. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I mean, smart dude. That was part of his advertising. Like, look, so are those other churches you're going to? You know, I know you're looking for a husband. Here, we got 42% males. Come join okay. us. Okay.
0: <laughs> and it just went, it, it, it exploded, it exploded oh, oh oh my so, goodness I can hear your, your enthusiasm for your book And then your, your different characters They're so intriguing, they're so interesting uh, it, it just sounds like a, 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 a series That's only going to get better and better and better That said, I know you said that, that Church Life was released in May And congratulations on your release Um Did you hold a book release party And what was that like
1: Actually I did not Um, I was so Anxious to get it out Because I had so much Going on like my mom had died Maybe two weeks before the book came out Um, And Yeah and I was just Trying to stay busy um, Because me being the only child from her You know I had to to do everything So the book Kind of motivated me to kind of carry on so I really didn't even think about release parties I didn't even know how a release party was supposed to go or what it's like and I just put it out there never expecting to get the response that I got um, so it, it, it was it was a blessing and I'm glad that it kind of went the way that, I, that it went because now I know what to do next time to make it even bigger so um, uh, it, it is going to be turned into a play um, and in. Oh, yeah. It's, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's. I can't even explain all the things that are going on with this book. <laughs> it's being turned into a play. I do have a producer that um, is doing screenwriting for it, and um, he's well-known. He's actually done 22 other plays, um, and he's um, a director of the arts at a uni- local university. And um, ad- auditions were supposed to be in January, but we've kind of – um, got some delay on that But we've even talked about movie um, Make it into okay. a movie So yeah So we have to find Congratulations some... you know Thank you We're trying to find somebody To sponsor it
0: Yes you are uh, I really like that too um, You know Love and warmth to you Both my parents are gone My grandparents are gone My I got so many aunts and uncles gone i was just thinking about this the other day. You know, a lot of people on the holidays they say, "I'm going home." I'm like, "Well, I don't have that anymore at all." So um, I do have my siblings, but you just keep going. Some some of us, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, and it ties into the quote. Even though I had no idea what you and I were going to be discussing, that a quote I started the show off with, the "Don't don't quit." Um, it, it and then you talked. We talked about the special education. How some parents. Uh, they don't expect much of their children. It's like, just don't go to jail and you did a good job with your life. And then some parents, it, it, their expectations are over the moon, So, mm-hmm. uh, it, but not in a, in a forceful way. We can let different things happen to us, and you listen to our stories as we tell our life stories. We all at times want to throw in a towel. I don't think there's a human who doesn't feel that way sometimes. But do you quit? Do you not quit? And do you just keep uh, like a quote Denzel Washington line in fences? Do you just march in step for 18 years? You don't go nowhere. You just get up and get get go to work and come home and you, but there's nothing in your life moving forward. Or do you take whatever do whatever it takes to keep moving forward? And I encourage our off the shelf listeners to do that. And you obviously Teresa are doing that and I, and I commend you. Your, your life is a great example. I love your book cover. Um, Who designed the cover of your book, and what was it like for you working with the designer, this is your first novel, to to share your vision so that the cover, it it really um, expresses your vision of the story to
1: to the reader? Okay, so let's talk about the cover. So the cover went through a lot of phases. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The first group of people that attempted to do it We just didn't have the same vision. Um, They were more um, trying to make uh, it more churchy with the ladies with the hats and things like that. And I didn't want that because these were young girls. So I wanted to depict a picture of young girls. And so I knew some girls, some the girls that I knew from church, I said, well, you know, I want to use them because it will make my life easier as far as my taking what's in my head and putting it on paper. And so we moved away from that particular company that was trying to do it, and then I uh, started working with the guy, um, Justice Young, who um, he also writes books as well, and he does graphic design, and he's really good at what he does, but the pictures that I gave him were not of good quality um, because I didn't know any better. I didn't know about pixels and all that other stuff. So he did the first book cover, um, which – the girls were just kind of next to each other and you had like a church scene on the bottom. Well, when I started doing distribution, people like uh, Books A Million were saying, we cannot take this book because the picture is not clear. So I had to search for another designer um, with a a different architect of of how they do things. And that was um, this guy by the name of Maurice Scriver. He's actually the guy that he does all of my um, promo stuff and banners for Facebook and all the other stuff, and so he's been doing covers for years, um, very experienced. And he said, "What you need to do is you need to have a photo shoot. Stop trying to get these pictures that these girls took with their phones, and <laughs> and make it a, <laughs> and make it a quality picture. And so that's what I did, and it was a good thing that I did use real people." Um, because all we had to do was come together, do a photo shoot. Um, and this um young guy, last name um Royster, who was the photographer, did an awesome job, sent the pictures to Maurice, and then Maurice created um the new book cover that you see. And he also created um part two that book cover is floating around okay. um with the coming soon to it um caption. So he does an awesome job with, with anything he touches. Like, I'm so amazed at his banners and um, all the different things that he does. And he knows that my signature colors are purple and gold. So, as you can see, he really pulled that out in that book. And, and really You well. know,
0: it's so important. The cover is so important to any authors listening because I've actually – that a, a co- I actually recently bought a book almost solely based off the cover. It is <laughs> the cover of a book. Can land you a sale. I'm telling you, if, if, if it can help to tell the story, and if it's very well done, it can. If, if you sold like ten thousand copies of a book, you might sell like one or two thousand that were literally driven off of the book cover, almost solely and completely off the cover, so that the cover is very, very important. When you work with big publishers, they don't tend to let writers. Uh, get involved in the cover because they they've been doing it so long. They say we know it sells. We know, and then I've seen some b- covers from major publishers that I thought, mm, no, I don't think they hit the mark. <laughs> but they'll <laughs> tell you you can't get involved. So it's good that you were able to get involved in the development of the cover. We we were coming down to less. Than eight minutes left into the show, and I have so many other questions to ask you. But I definitely want to get to a few marketing questions for our listeners who themselves are looking for better ways to maybe market their books. They they may be getting ready to come out with their very first novel. And you said you've learned things, um, you know, as you've launched that church life. But can you tell us from what you've learned so far, the book just came out in May to our listeners, but can you share three to four marketing uh, steps that you've taken so far that have been effective for you in getting the word out about that church life?
1: Well, always do your research um, because you, there's so many scammers out there that that will promise you the world and can't really do much for you. So <laughs> what ended up happening to me was um, I started writing last July, well, in 2015, and because I didn't know anything about the literacy world or anything about what was going on, I kind of latched to some people that I thought that they knew what they were doing and ended mm-hmm. up wasting a lot of money between July and December, oh. lots of money, whether it, became, whether it was the editor, whether it was uh, graphics, anything you can think of, website, I mean, I wasted a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And that could make a break in the artists because – you know, you can get discouraged after you've spent a thousand dollars, yes. and you're like, you know, listen, yes. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go through with this. But fortunately enough, you know, I have that drive to where I was just not going to be defeated. I just look at it as this is just the devil. There's a reason why he does not want I'm out. It must it's going to be something great for me to have all these setbacks. That's how I looked at it. So the okay. biggest thing is research. Yeah, and you you can't everything. Even though people refer people to you, that doesn't make it good either. You still got to go and research their work because these people were referrals. So they didn't do do good. (laughs) Okay. Not at all. Um, Okay. Not at all. (laughs) So, and then you have to find out what you like, because I think my biggest thing was I knew what I had in my head, but I didn't know how to describe it to you. So, it's hard to find somebody that understands your thinking process of what you want. Like Maurice, I can tell him I never have any idea on what I'm going to do when I when I talk to him. And I say, look, I just need a flyer because I'm going to New York to do this. Well, what do you what do you want it to say? I don't know. Well, because because we've worked together for for so long now since January, he now knows what I like and what I don't like. So it took. A minute to get to gain that relationship to get those things out of me, um, and and you have to figure out you know what you like and what you don't like because you're gonna spin your wheels and spend a lot of money if you don't.
0: Okay. So you know what that's excellent. That's excellent advice. So the research and then uh, a couple of other tips that you found to help you with marketing your books.
1: hmm Write the book first. Don't do nothing until you finish that book. Um, mid-story, you may think you want your character to look a certain way, but you really don't know till, till it says the end. So write your book first before you start finding the marketing tools because you waste a lot of money that way too. Um, find someone that has a target market area. You, you can't be, ah, yeah. even though it's, yeah, even though it's worked for me, I mean, I can put my book in urban sectors and it's selling, but that doesn't work for everybody. So, mm-hmm. you gotta find your your target market and have somebody market to those areas first i I kind of went backwards I went through urban and then through Christian instead of going through Christian to urban okay so it all yeah it all depends on what your book's about and what will attract readers
0: okay, okay if the target audience doing your research, and those are very very good tips. Two more questions, really. Well, three more before we uh, close. We got less than three minutes. What have readers been saying about that church life? And then I have two more questions before we wrap up.
1: When when is part two coming out? That's the biggest question. Okay. Mhm. It's to be continued. And that's a great compliment.
0: When when is when is part part two coming out? Do you have any upcoming speaking engagements, uh, Teresa? Are you going to be appearing at any book events? Are you going to be at any book club events, just any other interviews that you have coming up? And if so, could you share some of those upcoming events with our off-the-shelf listeners?
1: Yes. Um, December 23rd, I'll be on Nia Rich's show, um, radio station out of California. In January, I will be in Charlotte on their local TV station, a local radio station. I don't have all the names just yet. And a Barnes & Noble there. Um, January 14th, I will be back in Massachusetts to um, Barnes & Noble in Framingham, Massachusetts. And then January 20th, I will be in Arkansas. I have a TV show and a book signing at the book warehouse that evening. So that's just January.
0: Congratulations, Teresa. <laughs> I'm excited for you. Can you tell Thank our off-the-shelf listeners where they can get copies of your books and is it in e- are there, is that Church Life an e-book in print form? And where can our listeners get copies of the book?
1: Yes, ebook and print form on Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble, um, my website TeresaBHowell.com, Smashwords, Kobo, iTunes, um, iTunes or well, iBooks, and yeah, it's it's connected to a couple of other e-books, um, websites that I'm just now finding out about the other night. I didn't even know these places existed, and they have my book so. Google it and you will see all these different places. It's also in um, six different libraries um, two locally and a couple of them are out of state so if you go into your library and if it's a book that you want to get from catalog, ask for it and they'll have it.
0: Congratulations Teresa. I'm happy for the success of That Church Life to our off-the-shelf listeners. We've truly been blessed to have Teresa Howe She's a Boston, Massachusetts native and an educator, and the author of the book That Church Life. I encourage you to to Google her, and she's her first name is T E R E S A, her last name is H O W E W L H O W E L L, and she's the author of again That Church Life. I hope you go out and get a copy of her book. If you came in midstream through the interview, no worries. After it finishes streaming, you can go back and listen to the show in its entirety and share it with other book lovers. All right, so I want to thank everybody for being here with us, and I want to stop and wish you all a blessed, blessed, merry, merry Christmas, truly thankful for Christ and Christmas. So Merry Christmas to everybody, and and happy holidays. Believe it or not, next Sunday is Christmas. So I hope that you will come back. We're going to be on hiatus through the end of the year. Come back in January to our first, 2017, 13th year, years in off the shelf radio interview. Remember, we're on every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we've had some phenomenal guests, and Teresa Howell now joins that list of phenomenal guests. So happy holidays. Remember what I always tell you, you are awesome, you're amazing, you're incredible, and that's the truth, and I hope one day you really accept that. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Teresa, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now.
1: Bye. Thank you.